All right. Good evening, friends. No, no, no. It's good. I hope you guys had a good day. Thank you, buddy. Guys, did you even, did you ever, did you even notice the kind of the last words of that last song? Like, to this I hold. And that line, my hope is only Jesus. Guys, my hope isn't anything else, anyone else. I was chatting with somebody today and I said, I have, I've preached this when my wife's in the room, so don't feel like it's just when, like I don't say this when she's gone. Guys, I, I don't live for anyone else. I don't live for my wife. I live for Jesus. And I'm so thankful that I'm married to a woman who doesn't live for me. Like she lives for Jesus. Friends, our only hope is Jesus. It starts with Jesus. It ends with Jesus. And I'm hoping that you're seeing the difference that Jesus makes. Think about it. You've given yourself a week, almost a week, where you've separated yourself from the norm. You've separated yourself from what you normally do. And I remember getting a note seeing, this is the closest to God I've ever been. Praise the Lord. And you ever wonder why that is, that it happens at a, at a place like camp? I think it's not, it's not just like a mountaintop experience. It's because we separate ourselves and we focus in on Jesus. Guys, it's all about him. Let's pray and we're going to go through why it's all about him. Can we pray? Youth staff and pastors and volunteers, if you would pray, you pray for me. Um, I'd appreciate it. We got, and there's about 80 people back at home. I just messaged them before we came in praying um, from our little church for this time because we want to see God do something that makes the book of Acts look tame. Let's pray. <clears throat> Jesus, it really is all about you. I want to thank you that I know that. I know it. I want to thank you for when you revealed it. I want to thank you that so many in this room know the same thing. It's all about Jesus. It's all about you. Father, I pray that you would draw people to Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray your conviction of sin would come upon those who don't know Christ, that they would surrender to Christ, that, Father, as you provide faith necessary, they would receive and declare the lordship of Jesus. God, may this be a sweet time. May what you do tonight cause all of heaven to celebrate. And God, for those who do know Jesus and they love you, God, I pray for a renewal in our love for you. I pray for honesty, as that maybe some have to deal with some things that they've just had on their minds and their hearts, or they need to come back. God, in all of it, God, do a great work, and we want you to receive all the glory for it. God, we love you. 
Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. amen. <clears throat> he looks at his disciples and he says, uh, hey, every single one of you are going to desert me. Every single one of you are going to take off tonight. And they all look at each other. And to Simon Peter, it makes no sense. He says, no, 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 no. I'm not going anywhere. And then Simon Peter says something like this. According to the scriptures, he looks at Jesus and says, even if all of these take off, I never will. Man, I'd go to prison. No, 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 I would die with you. I'd die for you. I wonder the expression on Jesus' face as he had to address Peter in front of the crew. I think he was firm, but I think he was so gentle and loving knowing how this would impact Simon, when he looked and said, Simon, they're, de- they're all going to desert me. You're actually going to deny me three times before morning. No, mm-mm. not going to happen. And all the other disciples back his play. They're saying, well, no, we're not going anywhere. We're all in. And the Bible says that they go to this garden And he has the disciples here, and he takes the three a little further, and he looks at them, and he says, pray. And there's a difference in Jesus' countenances and in his his facial appearance. His attitude's different. It's like he's heavy. There's this emotional weight on him that they'd have never seen before. And the Bible says that Jesus went about a stone's throw away from the rest of the disciples, It says that he collapsed to the ground and he began to cry out to the Father. And he said, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. Guys, what does that mean when he says, take this cup from me? Guys, in the Old Testament, the cup was a picture, a representation of the wrath of God. So what Jesus is saying in the garden, he's saying, Father, take your wrath from me but not my will, your will be done. It's like Jesus is saying, Father, I don't want to go. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to go through it. I don't want to experience what's coming. But not my will, your will be done. The Bible says that he goes back to the three and they're sleeping. (laughs) They're just conked out. Guys, I used to judge them for that until I realized that I can't stay up late anymore. Like, I'm exhausted. My boys make fun of me all the time. I mean, by like 8.30, I'm falling asleep in my, in my chair. Just that, I mean, I get up early. I'm not like that old, but I'm, <laughs> I, I get up early, and so I'm just kind of tired by about 8.30. And so, but I used to judge them. But here's the thing. Have any of you tried to pray late at night after you get into bed and realized that was a mistake? Especially if it's cold outside, like you actually need covers. Like you jump in, you're like this, I'm going to get prayer, prayer time. Jump in. (sighs) And then you know that wiggle, you're trying to find the spot. Like, where is that? Where is that? Boop, there it is. Yeah, that's it. Now I'm ready to pray. And then you're you're in. Jesus, I just want to think, gone. That's it. And you wake up 14 hours later going, Amen. Oh, man. People ask, what'd you do last night? I prayed all night. I prayed all night. 
You nicknamed your bed the word. I prayed all night in the word. I prayed all night in the word. <clears throat> I know that was stupid, but I had to throw it in there. Guys, that's what this is. It's like that for them. It's like stay awake, pray. And they're all in. And then they fall asleep. And he wakes them up. He says, guys, couldn't you stay awake? It's almost like, remember, Peter, you just said that you would die for me, but you couldn't stay awake and pray? Guys, he's like, hey, I know the body is weak, but the spirit is willing. You need to pray. The Bible says that he goes about a stone's throw away and collapses to the ground again and begins to pray the same thing. Father, take this cup from me, but not my will. Your will be done. He actually prays it a third time because the second time after that, he comes over and they're sleeping again. He leaves them there, goes back and prays. But that's not all that he prayed in the garden. In John chapter 17, you see this prayer of Jesus. And around verse 23 or 24, Jesus says something like this. Father, I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see me in all of my glory. Guys, think about it. In the garden, before he's supposed to take the cross, he is praying to the Father, this is what I want. Guys, it's one of the only times in the scriptures that I have found in the gospel accounts of Jesus' life where he actually says, this is what I want. Every other time you see Jesus, he's saying something like, I only do the things that I see the Father doing, and I only say the things that I hear him saying. But here he's saying, this is what I want. And what is it that Jesus wanted? Us. I want those that you have given to me to be with me and to see me in all my glory. Guys, when you take that prayer, you take what Jesus is saying, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. If Jesus is saying, I want them to be with me, but I don't want to do this, and the Father's answer is, this is the only way if you want them. And then you see Jesus walk over to his disciples and wake them up. And as they wake up, pretending like they hadn't slept, it's like, I wasn't sleeping, I just forgot to finish my blink. Uh, it took a little while. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Haley. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they get up, and then he says this. He says, guys, my betrayer's at hand. Guys, it was like something switched in Jesus. Instead of being on his knees, tormented about what's about to come, it's like game time. His facial appearance changed. He said, get up, my betrayer's at hand. And the Bible says, there's Judas leading this small little mob of guards from the temple who are carrying clubs and torches, ropes to tie Jesus up and lead him away. Judas is leading it. Guys, and not by a show of hands, you don't have to answer out loud, but have you ever had someone kind of stab you in the back? Jesus gets it. He understands it. When the Bible says that he sympathizes with us in our weaknesses, he sympathizes with us in our weaknesses more than we could ever imagine. Guys, one of his top, not one of his 12 betrayed him for money, knowing, he, knowing that he would be in that garden by himself. No one be around him. This is the perfect time to arrest him. You'll pay me, right? And so when Jesus says, my betrayer's at hand, the Bible says that Jesus walked straight toward them. Dang. Guys, they didn't find Jesus hiding behind a rock. Jesus didn't take off running because he was afraid. Guys, he went straight toward them. At what point do you think that maybe Judas went, 
uh, this, was not, this was not good. When you look at the Bible, it says that Judas had this signal that he was going to show the temple guards. He says, the one that I kiss on the cheek, that's the guy. Guys, it's the sign of, a, it's the sign of friendship. And he says, this is, this is the sign that I can betray. So Judas comes walking up. And he kisses him on the cheek, calls him rabbi, kisses him on the cheek, and Jesus says, you betray me with a kiss? But in the scriptures, do you realize that Jesus actually still called him friend? Wow. Man, I wonder if that stung the heart of Judas. So the temple, the temple guards come and they start to tie Jesus up, grab onto him, and all of a sudden, this little fight breaks out. One of, the, one of the disciples pulls out this sword, a small little sword, and hacks off a dude's ear. You know who it was? Simon Peter. Good old Simon. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Shh. He took off the dude's ear. It's like you want to look at Peter and go, what were you aiming for? Like unless he's, I mean, maybe he's this master swordsman where he's like, who's next? Or maybe he's more like this. Ah! And then Jesus goes, oh, put it away, Peter. That's embarrassing. Put it away. The Bible says that Jesus then went over and picked up Malchus's ear and went and healed him instantly. Just like that. At what point do you think maybe the temple guards, are, are they should say, we're, we're done. And shouldn't Malchus then speak up, go, no, no, I'm not doing this. Jesus healed him. Jesus healed one of the guys who came to take him to death. Friends, when Jesus asks us, actually, let me change that. When Jesus commands us to love our enemies, he's done it first. So after Peter hacks off his ear, all the disciples desert him just like Jesus said. And they tie Jesus up and they walk him. But they don't take him to the temple. They take him to the high priest's court, the courtyard of the high priest's house. And they get him in there and John somehow gets Simon in there also. And as they're talking to Jesus and they're trying to get him to say something that would give them cause to say this is worthy of the death penalty. Peter's outside trying to warm himself up. A little servant girl comes walking up to Peter and says, you're with him. You're one of his disciples. He says, I don't know the man. He says, no, 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 I saw you. Like she keeps going after him. I saw you. He goes, I don't know him. And then a man around the fire looks and says, I can tell. I can tell by your accent. You were one of his. The Bible says that Simon began to call down curses from heaven and say, I don't know the man. The Bible says that right when that happened, the rooster crowed. And the Bible says that Jesus looked straight into the eyes of Simon Peter. And then the Bible says that Simon ran away and wept bitterly. And you don't see Simon mentioned again until the end. They're questioning Jesus and saying, okay, are you, all these questions, they get all these false witnesses and none of the stories are corroborating. And so high priest finally looks and says, are you the Messiah? 
And Jesus says something like this. It's as you say. And from this moment on, you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. And then he continues this small little speech, but that set them off. Why? Because when you get into the book of Daniel, in, in Daniel chapter 9, there is this prophecy of this coming one who is the Son of Man, full of glory, riding in on the clouds. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm God. Oh, that set him off. He's like, we've, we've heard enough. And they take a vote. What should we do? And they all sign it, crucify him. They get rid of him, kill him. So we'll, we'll fast forward. They take him to Pilate. Pilate, hey, hey, he's deserving of death. He's broken the lights. That has nothing to do with me. Send him to Herod. Herod's kind of like this fake king. Talk to Herod. Nah, this has nothing to do. Why? Because Herod's sitting there going, hey, do, do a trick. I've heard you could do tricks. Or tell me a story because I've heard you're a great teacher. And Jesus remains silent. So Herod sends them back to Pilate because he's bored with them. And so when they come back to Pilate, Pilate starts this conversation. And as he's asking them questions, Jesus isn't saying anything. And until, until Pilate says something like this, according to the scriptures, do you not understand that I have the authority to release you? And then Jesus spoke. And this is my paraphrase. When he said, when Pilate said, do you not understand that I have the authority to release you? It's as if Jesus looked at him and said, oh, Pilate, you're JV. Welcome to varsity. You got no play here. This has been put in place since before time began. This is not reactive. I don't need you. I could call down myriads of angels to come and to protect me and to take me. I don't need you. The authority that you think you have has been granted to you by my Father in heaven. The Bible actually says that Pilate from that moment on tried to release him. So he came up with this plan. He says, you know what? He's not, he hasn't done anything worthy of death. He's telling religious leaders, I'll just have him flogged. Guys, this is flogging. They would take Jesus and take him to this post. Then they would attach him. After they took all of his clothes off, they would take his arms and tie them to this post so his back is completely stretched out and exposed. They would, two, they would take two Roman guards, one on, each side of, one on each side of him, each of them holding what's called the cat of nine tails. Cat of nine tails, imagine a stick about 18 inches long, and at the end of that stick are, are pieces of, or leather strips. And at the end of those leather strips are pieces of razor and glass, sharp rock and bone. Guys, it's a claw. 39 times they would come across the back from the neck down to the calves. 39 times as hard as they could. They would, cut, they would bring it down. And these guys were experts in what they were doing. As they brought it down in order to take it off of his back, they would change the angle and pull as hard as they could. Guys, 39 times. Why 39 times? Because too many people died at 40. Guys, this was a mutilation. Guys, there's historical accounts where a Roman guard took a cat of nine tails and wrapped it around the front of an individual and disemboweled the person. Guys, this is torture. Can you see why in the garden Jesus would be saying, I don't want to do it, but not my will, your will be done, because I want them to be with me. And yet still, 
There was something that happened in the garden as he prayed those words, and Luke is the only one who recorded it. In the book of Luke, while Jesus was praying in the garden, it says that he began to sweat drops of blood. Guys, do you realize that there's a medical condition called hematidrosis? Guys, when you are terrified of something enough, when you are overly stressed about something, the capillaries in your forehead can burst and you will sweat drops of blood. Jesus was terrified. Guys, can you imagine as the cat and nine tails is coming across the back or the neck or down to the calves of Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, the second person of the Trinity, the divine God who created everything, taking it for us. Guys, can you imagine the agony he's going through? And yet all of that, I still don't think that's why he sweat drops of blood. I think he knew it was coming. So can you imagine as they untie his, they tie his wrists and he collapses to the ground, and then the guards, they pick him up, and they walk him before five to 600 Roman guards. And one finds this purple robe and puts it on his back. Another one finds these thorns and makes a, makes a, makes a crown. The Bible says that they put it on Jesus' head. And then to make sure that it stayed put, one of the Roman guards took a staff and smashed it into his skull. And all of a sudden, he's just standing there. And guess what all five to 600 Roman guards did? As Jesus is standing there, they just start bowing and mocking him. All hail, king of the Jews. And Jesus just stayed silent. Why? Because in a garden, he prayed, Father, I want those that you have given to be with me to that you have given me to be with me where I am to see me in all of my glory. Guys, they then took him back to Pilate. And Pilate says, hey, it's customary at this time that I release one prisoner. So you can have Jesus or Barabbas. Guys, this was a church softball pitch choice. He picks Barabbas, the murderer, or Jesus, the healer, the miracle worker. The religious leaders start telling everybody, pick Barabbas, 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 Barabbas. And all of a sudden, the crowd starts chanting his name. Can you imagine the shock? On Pilate's face, as he starts hearing it, it gets louder and louder and louder and louder as the mob screams out their choice. And then he says, what do you want me to do with Jesus? And the chant starts, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, over and over and over. And Jesus said nothing. Jesus said nothing. Guys, remember in Genesis chapter 3, I said, here's my favorite verse, or at least one of my favorite verses, that God made garments of skin and clothed them. Guys, that was pointing to what Jesus was about to go through. In the book of Leviticus, you see all these offerings that have to be presented. Animals have to be sacrificed for the forgiveness of sin. And yet you read Hebrews and it says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to bring about forgiveness. And so really, in Leviticus, it's a picture of the coming of Jesus, who is the Lamb of God. They're being sacrificed because of the sin of the people of Israel. And Jesus is going to be sacrificed because of the sin of the world. It's a picture of what Jesus would go through. 
And so the Bible says that, that, that Pilate stood there, and he walks away, he comes back, and he washes his hands in front of the people, and he signs the edict for Jesus' death, and he says, his blood is now on your hands. He said, not just on ours, but our children as well. They would take the purple robe off of Jesus, they left the crown on him, and they would put his clothes back on. Then they would take the crossbeam of the cross. The crossbeam of the cross alone weighed between 70 to 125 pounds. And as they placed it across Jesus' shoulders, he would then have to take his arms and embrace it. Then Roman guards surrounded him because they need to walk about 600 yards to where they're going to crucify him. So imagine everything that Jesus has gone through. He'd been beat up all night, gone through this fake trial in the middle of the night. He's exhausted. He's gone through the, the, the whipping and the flogging. He's gone through guards blindfolding him to mock him and then smacking him in the head and saying, oh, prophesy who hit you. Guys, he's been brutally beaten, and now he's got to walk 600 yards. Nowhere in the Bible did it say that someone had to push him. He walked. Of his own volition, he decided to walk. Why? Because at some point in the garden, he said this, I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see me in all my glory. The Bible says that as he began to walk, the Roman guards are standing around him, and some, of the, some in the crowd would break through the Roman guards. They'd pull chunks of his beard out. They'd spit on him. And yet Jesus just kept walking. He kept going. At one point, it was too heavy. It was too much. The Bible says that he collapsed to the ground, and the crossbeam would land straight on him. Guys, it's possible that that's what started the problem with his heart. Because of the weight, 125 pounds, give or take, landing on his back. And he can't get up, he can't move, he can't push himself up. So a Roman guard finds this guy named Simon. Not Simon Peter, but Simon. He's from this town called Cyrene. He says, come here, pick up the cross. He says, I can't do that. It was a disgrace for a Jewish man to be anywhere close to what is a cross. Roman guard says, pick it up. You don't argue with the Roman guard. And so all of a sudden, can you imagine? It doesn't say this in the scriptures, but can you picture it? That as he's picking it up, what if all of a sudden as he's holding it, maybe he starts to help Jesus up. And as Jesus is climbing up him just so he can stand and continue to walk, what if he looks at him with eyes swollen, just looking, going, I want him to be with me and to see me in my glory. And that's what caused him to take the next step. And he continued and continued and continued until he made it to a place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. Guys, they would take the cross beam and attach it to the vertical beam. And then they would take Jesus and completely strip him naked. That was to shame him in front of everyone who watches. They would lay him across the cross they would take one arm and stretch it out as far as they could and drive a railroad spike between the two bones in his wrist. They would take, him, they could take his other arm and stretch it out as far as they could and do the same with that. They would, they would then take one foot, place it over another, bend up his knees and drive a spike through both, attaching him to a cross. I made reference to this, if not last night, the night before. Guys, do you know what the Bible says Jesus was saying while this was happening? While it was happening, 
He said this, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But I know we read it once, but the way that it's worded in the original language means that Jesus kept saying it over and over. That with each swing of that ballad, he's, Father, forgive them. They don't know. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. Why would he pray like that? Because in a garden, he prayed. Father, I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see me in all my glory. They would then hoist up the cross, and as it became, as it became more vertical, gravity would pull down on the weight of its creator, of his body. The weight of his body would cause his elbows to dislocate and his shoulders to dislocate, and he would be left there to die. Guys, a person didn't die on a cross from bleeding to death. The fact that Jesus was bleeding so much was because he was flogged. Guys, there's historical accounts of people who were crucified who lasted two weeks. Guys, Jesus lasted six hours. So while he's hanging there, in order to live, guys, as he's hanging there, he can inhale, but in order to exhale, in order to speak or to exhale, he has to push up on the nail in his feet and pull up on the two in his wrists. And it wouldn't be these long breaths. It'd be these short ones. <laughs> for six hours. Why? Because in a garden, he prayed. I want those you've given to me to be with me where I am and to see me in all my glory. Guys, at about noon, the sky went dark like midnight. Like the sun disappeared. It's almost like that. And at one point while Jesus was on the cross, he said these words. He didn't speak very often. It was probably too painful. There's only about six or seven things that he said, and one of them was this. He said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Guys, can you imagine the agony of that question? That question, I think, is why Jesus sweat drops of blood. Guys, it's the only time that I find when Jesus is speaking to the Father that he doesn't call him Father. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is the first line of one of the Psalms. But friends, he's praised it. Why? Because he's being forsaken by the Father. He's experiencing forsakenness so that we can be forgiven. Guys, why would he do it? Because he loves us. Guys, I think this is what happens in the church especially if you've been going to church for a long time, you'll hear the phrase, guys, Jesus died for you. He died for you, and we become accustomed to it. And have we ever stopped and go, what did he go through? Guys, it's my conviction that on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, that Jesus in that moment was experiencing the full and complete wrath of God. The Bible says he became what's called a propitiation. He became the new target of the full and complete wrath of God so that we wouldn't have to experience it. Father, I want those that you have given me to be with me where I am and to see me in my glory. At almost the sixth hour, about the sixth hour, he knows he's coming to the point where he's about to die. His heart is beating like crazy, trying to find any blood that's left in it. 
And with one push up on the feet, or the, the nail in his feet, he says this, Father, isn't it beautiful? At one point in this, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then in the next one, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. There's this trust between the father and son because of what it is that he's about to say. Guys, one of the final things that Jesus says is this. It is finished. Guys, I don't think that he whispered that. I think he screamed that out as loud as he could. Guys, think about it. All of it is going to be finished. Guys, it, most people love Christmas, right? But do we even connect Easter to it? Do we connect Good Friday to it? It's like, oh, I love Christmas, I love Christmas. But do you realize that the manger that Jesus was laid in, symbolically, or at least a picture, was laying there in the shadow of a cross that he would one day have to take? Guys, just think, it's like, he came to do this. When he says, it is finished, guys, it's a banker's term. Literally what Jesus said from the cross was paid in full. He cried it out, paid in full. Meaning every single thing that's necessary that people can be reconciled to God, that people can't work their way to God, you can't do enough good things to be reconciled or be saved. Why? Because every good thing that I could ever come up with compared to the perfect God is like a filthy rag. Guys, think through it. Everything that Jesus did. Why? It's that verse that we've become accustomed to and used to. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Friends, Jesus was forsaken by God so that we would never have to be. He was forsaken so that we could be forgiven. Friends, he willingly, even though there was a battle in the garden, he willingly took a cross that belonged to us because he wants us. And when Jesus said, it is finished, it says that he breathed his last and died. Then the scene shifts from the cross to the temple. And in the temple, there's this place called the most holy place. And that most holy place, the high priest would go into that place one time a year because it was thought that that is where the very presence of God is. The high priest went in there one time a year and he had, to go in a, he had to go in there in a manner worthy of the holiness of God. There was this belief that if a person went in there not in a manner worthy of the holiness of God, that that person would die in the presence of God. And separated the most holy place from the rest of it, there's this curtain. And the curtain, some scholars say, was about 18 inches thick. The Bible says that when Jesus said it is finished and died, the earth shook. And then it says that that curtain was torn from top to bottom as if the father took his finger and sliced it open, which was him declaring, you now have access to me. Why? Because it's been paid in full. 
Friends, that's what Jesus went through because he loves us. He loves you. You will never find anyone ever who loves you like Jesus. So for that person who wrote that question down that we didn't get to get to this morning that says, why do you follow Jesus? That's why. He did that for me. And he did that because of me. And he's worthy. And I recognize the value of the one who's invited me to follow. But I also recognize the value that he sees for us, that he would go through all that for us. My friends, I've been preaching this message almost every time I speak anywhere at a camp, and it's time to call people to surrender to Jesus. But when I first started, I would leave it here to just leave, you know, make people feel the weight and kind of emotional, and, and I could get more people to stand, which made me feel better as a pastor. Because, oh, look what I did. Ah, oh, these people came to Jesus. I remember this one camp. I left it here, and there was this kid on my heart the whole week. I wanted him to come to Christ because I knew he didn't know Jesus. And so when I called kids to come forward, they wanted to surrender to Jesus. He was sitting in the back. And, as, as, and I'd said, hey, hey, heads bowed, eyes shut. But I, did, I could keep my eyes open because for some reason I, I'm special. And I said, if you, want to, if you want to surrender to Christ, just come forward. And all of a sudden, he did this. He's in the chair and he goes, huh? and he sat back down. He's like, come on, come on. And then he stood up and walked forward. I was like, be cool because I'm a pastor. And the next day he walks up, he said, Brian, did you see last night? I said, I did. Dude, I've been praying for you all week. He goes, can I ask you a question? I said, absolutely. He goes, what happened next? I'm like, you little brat, how do you not listen? And then I went, oh, because I didn't tell you. <laughs> Guys, I used to preach the gospel and I left a dead Jesus on a cross. That's horrible. Guys, I had to repent from that? I've never forgotten to finish the story. Friends, Jesus was put into a grave on a Friday. And on the third day, Jesus kicked death in the face and came back from the dead. Just like he said he would. Guys, he predicted his resurrection and pulled it off. You want to know another reason why I follow Jesus? Because the dude predicted Easter and did it. Guys, Jesus came back from the dead. He's alive. That is the pivotal, most important event in all of human history. Nothing else compares. Because if Jesus didn't come back from the dead and death beat him, then we have no hope to beat death. And we are still hopeless. Friends, he died to save us. He died in our place so that we could be forgiven and reconciled to God. He resurrected from the dead because death has no hold on us. God did all of that because he's wild and crazy about us. Guys, that never gets old. Friends, I know that for some of you, you have a relationship with Jesus. Others of you don't. For those of you that don't, because I've been addressing a lot of questions or statements to those who follow Jesus, for those that don't, can I just ask you why not? You don't have to answer out loud, but think through it. 
For some of you, you push against God. You want to run away from God. Why? Because he didn't come through at some point. Guys, I'm convinced that at the heart of a lot of atheistic hearts, those who don't believe in God, I think at the heart of it is because at some point they believe that God failed, didn't come through. They lost someone or something and they run from him. Guys, I'm telling you that this is what the scriptures teach. This is what God did for you. And this isn't a guilt thing. I just, I'm just trying to figure out, why wouldn't you want that God who would go through all of that to reconcile, with, to reconcile you to himself so that you could be with him one day? All because he loves you and give you this free gift that he paid for. Free to you because it was a massive payment for him. That's how much he loves you. say, but Brian, this seems too good to be true. Guys, in Daniel chapter 4, you don't have to turn there, but after Nebuchadnezzar has that episode that we saw this morning in the play, where God pretty much let him become kind of like this wild beast, I think it says for seven years, give or take, people are, I mean, we have, we have, we have scholars that kind of debate what that time period is, but it's a long time. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? And at the end, in verse 37, through the last part of the verse, or the chapter, he says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Why do I bring up Nebuchadnezzar, the end of his life? Friends, I'm convinced that this is when Nebuchadnezzar repented. And I'm convinced that one day, this is an act of faith, and that Jesus' sacrifice can be attributed back to those who before Jesus lived by faith. Then I'll get to see good old Neb, because there was repentance that happened. Every other time he made some kind of statement like this, there was no repentance, no change. I think this is when it happened. And if God can, quote unquote, save a person like this, he can save anyone. So here's what we're going to do. You've heard it all. I mentioned, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone has sinned. The book of Romans 6 says the wage of sin is death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Friends, there is no other way to God. There is no other way to forgiveness. There is no other way that you could spend eternity in heaven with the creator, but through Jesus. For some, you might say, Brian, that's pretty closed-minded. I can't believe you'd actually think that way, that there's only one way. And I just want to give thanks to Jesus that he actually made a way. Because without that, there'd be no way. All this because he loves you. So here's what we're going to do. In just a second, I'm going to give you an opportunity. For those of you who've either made a decision sometime this week, 
that you surrendered to Jesus, or if tonight you're saying, I want to surrender my life to Christ. Guys, I want to make it clear. You don't accept Jesus into your life. You don't accept him as your quote-unquote savior. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, the word Lord means master. The word confess means to say something in such a way that your life will follow that declaration. It should be visible. You should be able to see that a person's been changed. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a surrendering of yourself to him and receiving his gift of salvation, saying that, Jesus, I want to follow you the rest of my life because you're worth it. Do you see how that question started on Sunday night? And now you come to this place where if you want to follow Jesus, it's because, Jesus, you're worth it. You're worth it. I just love you. It's not, I want to get saved and then decide later if I want to follow. No, 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 it all comes together. Follow Jesus and receive salvation the same time that he paid for. Not because he needs us, but because he wants us. So I want to make it really clear. For those that say, what if I don't want Jesus? Well, I'm thankful that Jesus isn't done hounding you yet. But here's the thing, guys, there's only forgiveness in Jesus, and that those who say, I don't want Jesus, then you will have to stand before the creator one day and answer for your own sin and be separated from God for eternity. So then you're just trying to scare it in me. I'm not trying to scare it in you. The Bible's just really clear about it. My heart is that you would come to Christ. Paul's the one who said, I implore you. On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. When you surrender to Jesus, though, you're forgiven of every sin you've ever done and forgiven for every sin that you will ever do. You're not forgiven moment by moment. You're forgiven. Your identity's changed from sinner to saint, from sinner to child of God, son or daughter of the king. The Holy Spirit of God comes into you to lead, to guide, to counsel, to convict, to encourage. Guys, everything begins to change. All because he wants you. But in order for this to happen, you have to repent, turn away from sin, turn away from that life, and turn to Christ, turn to Jesus, and receive his gift. There is no halfway. Well, I'll do part, no, 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 all in or not. Hear me here. You do not have to stand up to receive salvation. I used to make everybody do it. I wouldn't say that part because I wanted to feel it. I'm like, yeah, I feel it. Guys, I remember being at a camp when I first started ministry. I was just leading a little middle school uh, camp. I'm not, I wasn't teaching. I was, I was just leading our youth group. And I was sitting in the back, and it was decision night. It was a weekend camp, so Saturday night was cry night. And the guy up front, he goes, hey, if you want to accept Jesus into your life, don't like that phrase anymore, if you want to accept Jesus in your life, in just a moment, you're going to have that opportunity. Before that, everyone head, heads bowed, eyes shut. So everybody head goes, everyone's in, everyone obeys. But then I start to peek. Because I'm curious. Like, what if one of my kids raise their hands? I have no clue. So he said, heads bowed, eyes shut. If you want to accept Jesus in your heart, just raise your hand. Like, Ugh. Now I look back, don't say that. 
Anyway, so he starts to count. His hands start going up. He's like, oh, one, two. And at some point he goes, no peeking. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, don't throw me to hell. I'm so I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry. I start freaking out because I was peeking. And he, <laughs> he starts counting again. One, two, three, four. I see that hand, seven, 12. And seven, 12? That's not how you count. You missed some numbers there, buddy. Seven, 12, 31, 706. I'm like, there's 200 kids here. 17,000. I'm like, oh my gosh, the whole county's getting saved. But no one can look because you're not allowed to peek except the preacher. He just keeps counting and counting and counting. I'm like, the whole thing just got saved. A few years later now, about 30, I look back and I think, why do we have to close our eyes? Why do we have to bow our heads? But guys, the Bible says that one who is lost comes home, all of heaven celebrates. Like they don't just sit there quietly and go, great. Guys, they throw a party. They go bonkers. Guys, they get some chips and guacamole and just have a party. They just go nuts. When one who is lost comes home, heaven just explodes, and here we are on earth. I don't get it anymore. So here's how we're going to do it. Did you hear me? You do not have to stand up. You don't. You are not saved by any work. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works. So no one can boast. But here's what I'm going to invite you to do if you want to. In just a moment, when I lead us in this time, if you want to stand and say, I'm surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus, or you've done it at some point since you got here, I'm surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus, and I'm receiving his gift of salvation that I could be forgiven in a right relationship with God. And I want to follow him the rest of my life. If you're entering into that relationship with God, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you, you can stand if you want to. And the reason I do it is so that you can remember on August 3rd, 2023, at Meadow, that's when I stood up to surrender my life to the God who loves me through Jesus. It's just, I, you get to remember it. I remember it. August of 1991. Shh, don't make fun of that. 1991, standing up over at Pondy because I surrendered everything and I've never regretted it. For those who say, I just can't stand up. Guys, it's still the same. You confess that Jesus is Lord. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved, rescued, changed. You become his. So friends, with every head up, every eye open, no pressure. Like you said, I'm not there yet. That's fine. Don't lie. But think through it. But if you're saying, this week I have or tonight I am and I want everyone to know that I'm surrendering my life to Christ that I could be forgiven by God and right relationship with him and spend eternity with him. Friends, if that's you and you've never done it before, you've never done it before, this is it. This is where everything changes for you. If you want to, would you do us the honor 
just so that we can celebrate with you. Would you stand up if you say, I want to surrender my life to Christ? Awesome. Awesome. Let people make their decisions. Don't sit down yet. Stay up. Just stay up for just a second. For those of you that are surrendering to Jesus tonight, just a couple questions, and I want you to respond with one word out loud. Ready? By standing up, are you declaring that Jesus is now master of your life? And by standing up, are you declaring that you believe that he died on a cross and came back from the dead and you want to follow him the rest of your life? Then welcome to the family. So rad. So rad. You guys can have a seat. One last thing. Here we go. Hang in there. For those of you here that you have a relationship with Jesus, but for some of you, you've kind of wandered off. You're kind of living ways that he says, I don't want you to live that way, and yet you've just continued to rebel. And you actually think you're getting away with it, but God's like, no, 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 no. And some of you guys need to come back. Like, you need to repent from your sin, repent from the things that you're doing that are not pleasing to God. And you need to come back into intimacy with him. Friends, there's no shame in this. I want to make sure you understand that. Understand this. Whenever you hear the word confess or repent, it's beautiful. It's freedom. For some of you, you need to repent. You may say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm just not practicing. That's like me saying I'm married. I'm just not practicing. It doesn't work like that. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have to follow. Let me change that, sorry. If you're a follower of Jesus, you get to follow. Guys, come back. Others of you, you love Jesus you're walking with them. But right now, this season, it's been a really rough time. And maybe nobody knows what you've been going through. And so tonight, I want to give you an opportunity in just a second to stand, to confess to God, God, I'm kind of broken. I'm kind of broken. I don't know why this is happening, and I don't know what to, get, what to do to get out of it. I don't know how you're going to come through, but God, this has been rough. So if you're in one of those two camps, and I'm not going to ask, and you don't have to tell me, Guys, honestly, <clears throat> youth pastors and youth workers, for just a second, thank you. Because you doing youth ministry now is so much harder than when I did it. And you're willing to jump into the pit. And you're willing to go after these kids. 
And you're willing to pour into a generation that is just being split and shoved and thrown in all these different confusing directions and, oh, you're doing battle with the devil. Thank you. Thank you. Youth, middle schoolers, this is who you walk with. They love you. You should be telling these things to them. Confess it. Be open about it. Repent or say, God, I'm broken. And in a little bit, you'll be able to share some of these things with your leaders. Guys, I know this is humbling, but you don't have to say which one of those camps you're standing up for. Repentance to come back or, God, I'm broken. But if tonight you're saying, God, I want to come back, I've wandered, or, God, I just need to admit I'm broken, I don't know what to do, I need your help, would you stand up? For those of you who are standing up because you need to come back, I want you, before you go to sleep, in your cabin or just with your youth worker or whoever, your youth leader, I want you to read the second half of Luke 15, the prodigal son story. And I want you to, I want you to notice the response of the father in the story when the son comes back. I just want you to notice that. That's, does that make sense? So second half of Luke 15, youth leaders, cool? If, you, if one, of your, one of your students is in here and they stood up, ask him, why did you stand up? It's for repentance. Take him to that passage because you're going to see the heart of the Father, God, Father. His response to our repentance is pretty rad. Here's what I'd like us to do. Guys, we're going to close with one last song because I think it's fitting that we should celebrate Jesus after we see the most powerful miracle in the history of the world. Friends, when people come to Christ, it's more impressive than when God splits a sea. Those of you who came to Christ, you passed from death to life. You're now alive. You said, I don't make sense. We're dead in our sin. We surrender to Christ. We're alive in Jesus. It, life changes, friend. Will you still have hard times? Absolutely. Oh, but now you have God who is Father, who goes through all of it with you. Oh, he loves us. So can, we do a, can you do me a favor? Can we all stand? <clears throat> I'm going to close this in prayer, and the worship team is going to come back out. We're, gonna, we're just going to sing. We're going to sing to Jesus, all of us. And maybe for those that say, I didn't surrender to Jesus. Oh, you still can. You still can. And then after this song, those of you who made a decision for Jesus, you're going to stick back. I, th I think, is someone going to come up and just explain the rest? Awesome, okay. I won't take that part. Let me pray. We're going to worship. Deal? And when we worship, we worship in a manner worthy of Jesus, not based upon our preferences or what we're comfortable with. It's what would Jesus want me to do? Because he's worthy. He's worthy, amen? amen? Okay, let me pray. Let me pray. <clears throat> let me pray. Jesus, you are so good. You are so good. To be reminded, God, of what it is that you did for us, 
that you sent your son, that Jesus, you came and you died and you took the wrath of God and you came back from the dead. And Holy Spirit, for those of us who have surrendered our lives to Jesus, you are in us and you lead and are with us wherever we go and you help and you encourage and you strengthen us and you empower us, you gift us, you, and then you use us in powerful ways. Oh God, to you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor for what you've done for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus and everyone who agrees says, amen. amen. Love you more than you know.